This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Hi, my name is Sean Ray, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my flagship show, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Cosmic Potato is a show about film, TV, comics, games, and geek culture. Every episode, I get together with a few friends and we talk about everything from Oscar nominees to Saturday morning cartoons. We have regular co hosts located all across the country, including John, a graphic designer, Hi Chan, a writer, Rick, a teacher and podcaster, Christina, a clothing designer and avid cosplayer, and Anthony, a filmmaker. The show is available at CosmicPotato.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and many, many other podcast sources. So tune in and hopefully I'll talk to you as you're listening to the next episode of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Fifty years ago, the world was introduced to the phenomenon that was Star Trek. Popular culture was changed forever, and eventually it became six television series and 13 motion pictures. People from all walks of life have been affected by it. Their lives have been affected by the lessons and the philosophies that they took away from it. This is the story of those fans. Interviews with individuals who love Star Trek and believe that their lives are better because of it. This is their prime direction. Hey everybody and welcome to the Prime Direction. My name is Sean Ray and with me tonight is Jeffrey Shackelford. How are you, Jeff? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Sean. Hey, no problem, no problem. Uh, so I met you at Magic City Con, right? Yes, uh, absolutely. I believe it was my 11th convention I've been to over the years, and it's great. I'm a uh, pretty much almost a lifelong Birmingham native, lived a few years elsewhere, but uh, want to support the local convention and help it grow. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've I've gone to, well, Magic City Con has been around for two years now and i've gone both years and i'm really i'm really enjoying it are you uh you planning on going to dragon con this year i am this will be my sixth straight year at dragon con so uh and it's a wonderful convention looking forward to hearing shatner speak on monday oh is he gonna be yeah i'm not gonna make it this year but uh yeah i did not i did not know shatner was gonna be there that'll be awesome right yeah it's interesting because normally at dragon con on mondays it's kind of the day everyone's checking out, just kind of going to a panel or two or leaving. I thought it's interesting. The schedule's not released just yet, but I thought it was interesting. They said he's going to be there Monday, so that'll be interesting what that does for attendance on Monday. Yeah, I'm so. sh- yeah well, your diehard Trek fans will definitely be sticking around for that, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, about who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, my name is Jeff Shackelford. I've lived in Birmingham just about my whole life. I was born here in Birmingham. Moved as a kid to Greenville, South Carolina. Then I moved back to Birmingham, and my family was still based here. So it kind of felt like I really never left because grandparents and cousins and everything were still in Birmingham. So 
Uh, so for the most part, Birmingham has always been my home. Uh, I've been a Star Trek fan just about my whole entire life. Uh, uh, I'm, I think I'm the same age you are, Sean. I'll be 38 next month. I'm, I just, so, I'm 39. So yeah, it's pretty okay. close. Yeah. So, uh, what's funny is I grew up watching the, uh, movies and everything. And then it was funny when I was about in middle school, I thought, man, these are such good movies. And that's when I kind of discovered the original series and, uh, it was kind of great and a little disappointing because they weren't as flashy or as cool sci-fi special <laughs> yeah. effects as the but uh it was good to get that character development and uh, also grew up with the next generation and uh of course eventually and i can talk about this later but what i believe to be the greatest star trek series of all time is voyager which i know is going to create some controversy <laughs> but uh that's just my personal favorite well what was your life like as you were growing up did you have brothers sisters and stuff like that Yes, uh, I had a brother. I have a younger brother, and uh, he was uh, really into the Star Trek The Next Generation growing up, and uh, he was the one that kind of introduced me to that, and uh, when that was coming on, and that was, you know, at the time when I was in middle school and high school and everything, and couldn't watch it as much, and these days we take it for granted because you can just DVR everything, yeah, watch it on demand, but back then if you missed it, you missed it, and uh, you know, I, I'm probably a rarity, Sean, because uh, I played high school football and uh, I was the only guy in the high school locker room that's talking about Star Trek in the <laughs> locker room. I imagine, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, hey, uh, us football players can be geeks and nerds, too. I'm a firm believer in that. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's geeks in all walks of life, but for some reason, when you're growing up, so, especially if you're in the uh, athletic community, you feel like you can't. Uh, talk about some of that kind of stuff. So, so you didn't feel bashful at all uh, talking about Star Trek? No, I've never been bashful. And what's funny was that after I kind of uh, started saying that, I found other people who were, but maybe afraid to say so. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, I've never been bashful, and I've always been one of these people, don't be afraid to express your opinion, uh, because who you are is who you are, and it's what makes you special. And I told people, look, it's a great show. If y'all don't want to watch it, hey, that's that's you know that's your prerogative. You don't have to like it, but I'm telling you, if you give it a chance, you might regret it because you might love it. Yeah. So yeah, that was always my experience. You would find the uh, you would find kids that would make fun of you for uh, wearing a Star Trek T-shirt or something like that, but then you'd hear them in conversation. They would say the word Klingon or something like, well, you know what a Klingon is, so obviously you've seen the show, you know, and I, I they just think that it's i don't know they they think it's nerdy to be in the star trek but then you know they were all in the star wars and stuff like that so oh absolutely yeah. and i'm into star wars too i'm a uh i'm an equal opportunist i love both <laughs> equally and uh you know but what's great about star trek is that i as much as i love star wars uh i always felt that star trek was something more realistic that could one day happen and that's what intrigued me to it yeah uh, did you have um, did you have a lot of toys, a lot of Star Trek toys and stuff like that? I didn't really have a lot of Star Trek toys because uh, I think in my particular age genre, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of toys out there. I knew there were some TNG toys, but I was kind of in high school when that was coming out, mm -hmm. and you know, I was more worried about trying to save up to uh, put gas in my car. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, right. You know, so uh, I never really got into that. But uh, the toys are great. I, um, I more or less like to wear Star Trek t-shirts and whatnot, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, they did have a lot of action figures. I never really... I knew a lot of guys that collected them. They would go to conventions and they pick up the action figures and stuff like that. And I would get some stuff for Christmas, but it would always be like like a a communicator that was way too big to be a real communicator. But you would push right. it and it would beep. And, you know, from family members that didn't really understand that you didn't want a toy because you wanted to play with it. You wanted a toy because you were collecting them or something like that. But Sure, absolutely. What's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Oh gosh, uh, that's a uh, that's a great question. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I was thinking about I was going to answer this. I believe the first movie I ever saw was uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, uh-huh. and I remember uh, watching that movie at a very young age with my dad, and uh, thinking, "Well, why is the Spock dead? Isn't he like a like a good guy or something?" Yeah. And then I later went back and watched The Wrath of Khan, which is probably my still to this day my all-time favorite and it kind of completed the story but that was what i think really just made me think man this is a great this is great stuff going on here yeah so uh so i think watching the search for spock uh and of course that was just such a and you know the thing i love about star trek is the characters are so rich and you get so emotionally invested in them that it's hard to uh it's hard not to just to fall in love with them. And I think that's what really made me love them was all the camaraderie for that. So I believe in that movie, they, you see all the old characters, they all hijack the ship and they say, Hey, yeah, we can go save this guy. And just seeing that bond and that brotherhood and, uh, amongst everyone really just made me appreciate them. Was, was Star Trek at the time that you watched it was Star Trek three, a relatively new movie or was it something did you, or was was it something that had been around for a while? I I can't remember. Uh, I was pretty young, so I want to say it was probably this was in the era of blockbuster movie riddles or other mom and pop. And I remember we rented it on VHS. So yeah. um, if I'm guessing, uh, because my dad had two young kids, probably didn't get to go to as many movies as he'd like. So he was uh, renting it and letting me watch it with them. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking that's how that probably went down. I was just wondering because the first time, the first thing that I remember watching of Star Trek was I saw Star Trek two when it was aired on TV and my dad just made a, at the end of it, when Spock died, my dad made this comment, well, he comes back in the next one, you know? So, yeah. so I know that at the point that I saw Star Trek two, I think that they were up to Star Trek four actually being out. So I went to the video store and just devoured all the movies and I had not even seen the series at that point yet. So I was just wondering if after you saw Star Trek three, if you just went out and had to devour all the movies, I probably would have, if I wasn't a kid and I had, you know, I was at the mercy of my parents, but I believe at that point I told my parents I wanted to see them. So they, you know, they would begin renting them for me and all that good stuff. And we would watch them on TV as they came on. So I can't remember what order, but I remember I saw the wrath of Khan right after three. Yeah. And then I started seeing them in the theaters right after that, because I told my parents, Hey, these are good movies. I like all these. And so I believe from that point forward, I saw every movie in a theater after that. So, and then you got into watching the, the, the TV series. Yes, and back then, of course, uh, it was all over syndication mm-hmm. on your WGNs and TBSs, so I would watch them, and of course, years later, I would buy the DVD and Blu-ray sets of them, and you know, I would see episodes that I might have missed throughout the years and everything, but uh, that was really what 
began it for me. And this was also shortly thereafter the next generation when it was coming out. So I began watching that as well. And, um, that was really good, but it's, it's really interesting to rewatch that series as an adult because there's much more storylines as an adult you can pick up on that you weren't picking up on as say a 11, 12 year old kid and stuff. So did you get into comic books and novels and stuff like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm a huge comic book collector as well. Uh, but, uh, the Star Trek comics, I don't think I did, but I did read a lot of the novelizations. I remember one of the first novels I read was the, I believe it was called Star Trek Enterprise that kind of talked about how the crew all came together. And I read that at a very young age and it was probably a lot over my head, but I remember really enjoying it because I think what I liked most about the original series crew was the camaraderie amongst everybody. Yeah. So yeah, no doubt about it. So so we, do do you have any uh, specific novels or specific uh, writers that write Star Trek novels that you remember that you enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, besides the one that you mentioned? I don't believe so off the top of my head. So um, I, I, I'm i really just primarily just really into the TV yeah. shows and okay. movies more so. So uh, the comic books, they were good, but... Uh, it's hard with the comic books because you have to constantly read them and keep up with them and everything. And I have many of them, you know, carted and bagged away in my comic collection. And maybe at some point that'd be a good thing to do is to go back and read those when I'm not playing father or working <laughs> yeah. my day job or going to conventions or stuff. So, so you were probably about eight or nine years old when the next generation started. Yes. And I remember I got a sticker in a Cheerios, uh, box and I remember thinking, "Wow, this is the Enterprise, but it, it looks so much cooler than the old Enterprise." Yeah, and uh, so uh, like I said, I remember and I remember being blown away and thinking, "What is a Klingon doing with with the Federation? Like that was just blasphemy." <laughs> so uh, you know, and I think that's what drew me to it was w- w- why is this Klingon? He's a bad guy. He's not supposed to be wearing a Starfleet uniform and i think that was the thing that probably grabbed me from the most and i think that's what star trek is supposed to do it's supposed to kind of test your boundaries because i've always thought star trek is kind of parallel political stories going on and this was around the time when we're you know the cold war is coming to an end and and everything and so in in a lot of ways that's what happened in the star trek universe was the klingon you know uh we later found that out in the undiscovered country, but in the next generation, we're getting the story. What? 75 years later that a Klingon is now a member of the Federation. That was blasphemy to me (laughs) as a kid. So, but it's great stuff. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, you start seeing the story of Worf and seeing his backstory and how he came to be and everything. And his kind of, uh, one thing I love in TNG is kind of his, uh, battle, his internal battle regarding, you know, Klingon heritage versus being a Starfleet officer. And, you know, that even when you rewatch that now, it still really holds up and it's really, and it's what made TNG a great series. It was Worf your favorite character from that show? Uh, I, I yeah, I think so. Uh, absolutely. I think so. Just because of that whole, that's what drew me in from the beginning as a Klingon wearing a, um, starfleet uniform i was thinking wow that's that, that that's really cutting edge so and i you know i i've always read about uh michelle nichols how groundbreaking it was 
when she was on the original series, having a African American lady serving as an officer of this ship and how Martin Luther King encouraged her to stay in her role when she was getting frustrated because of her importance. And I imagine what I was feeling seeing that Klingon probably had a lot deeper feeling for people seeing Nichelle Nichols uh, in that earlier role. So I think that's what made me just really love TNG was that's what drew me in from day one was seeing Worf. Uh, If they hadn't had Worf, would I have been drawn in? Probably, but you'll never know. Yeah. Well, Worf definitely had the most expansive story of the series. I mean, you most of the, uh, the next generation storylines followed either Picard or, or data, you know, Worf had a lot of his own stories, but then his story continued into deep space nine. He was on that show for four seasons. So, so, so yeah. And I've been doing a rewatch of deep space nine recently. And when they brought him on the show, they jumped right back into a lot of the Klingon centered episodes and dealing with the fact that he was, uh, he was disgraced and his family was all the honor was taken from his family because he was siding with the Federation against the, Klingon Empire and all that kind of stuff. So he definitely had a very expansive storyline for his character. Oh, yeah. And what's crazy is watching TNG recently, several years ago, I'm a father of two seven-year-old twin girls. Oh, yeah. And watching watching him deal with parenthood of Alexander. As a kid, I thought, this is kind of lame. Oh, gosh, here's Alexander again. And, you know, but watching it as a parent from a parent's perspective you know dealing with parental issues and how to raise your kids that's what i was referring to earlier as that you get stuff out of it again when you rewatch it as an adult that you maybe didn't get at a younger age yeah yeah i think one of my favorite episodes of tng even though it was it was it, probably the one of the corniest storylines that they had but the, the fistful of data's that dealt a lot with Worf and Alexander and they were trapped on the holodeck and they were in the old West and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, re- Great I really stuff. Who doesn't it. love a Western. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, when the enterprise rides off into the sunset was a cool, was a cool touch too. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yes. So, so after TNG had was on the air, um, Star Trek five and six came out during that time period. So were you just in Star Trek Overload at that point? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I believe this was also the time when, when DS9 came out. I remember when I started watching DS9, I remember thinking, what a disaster this is. And uh, it, it got better as it went on. But uh, I remember just thinking, I hope they're not just uh, flooding the market with Star Trek stuff. And then when Voyager came out, I was thinking, oh, gosh, please don't let it be another DS9. And and I want to apologize to all the DS9 people because I try to love that show. I really do. Well, let me go back. But, what, what What is it about DS9 that you don't like? Right, let me just go back to that. I do like it, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, – I'm going to put DS9 in the same vein as other stuff that it's better than nothing. <laughs> but um, it just uh, – I didn't like the fact that they weren't on a mission. I just always kind of thought that – they were just there in space, and uh, they did some cool stuff on the show. Uh, but I kind of got uh, I, I kind of got burnt out on the whole Bajoran Cardassian battle. That uh, it just never piqued my interest. Yeah. But uh, when Voyager came out, I was hooked from the get go. I thought this is Star Trek, and this is what I love about it. So Voyager just uh, re upped me and made me uh, reprofess my love for Star Trek once again. 
And to this day, I've seen Voyager from start to finish probably five or six times. And, uh, you know, I know it's blasphemy amongst many people listening, and that's okay. But uh, I, I still think it, it's my favorite series by far and away. No, I, I think, I think, I mean, I think Voyager would. I, well, I mean, in full full disclosure, all the Star Trek series are great series, in my opinion. I mean, all of them had seasons that didn't work out as great. They didn't. Some of them had characters that weren't all that great, and some, and definitely all of them had storylines that didn't work out. But, uh, but yeah, Voyager was a was a great show. There were aspects about it that i didn't like i think that the thing with uh with deep space nine was that they they wanted to have another show on the air but they didn't want both of them to be about exploration because it would just be two hours of the same thing every week so deep space nine whereas they called star trek uh wagon train to the stars you know, this was more of what they called the rifleman in, st- in space, where all the action would come to them instead of them going out to, to it. But, but when deep when the next generation went off the air and they announced that Voyager was going to be made, then they had more room for another exploration show. But it sounds like you enjoy the exploration part more than more than the uh, action coming to the station kind of storylines. Sure, and and what I loved about Voyager was here they are. Um, I, for, uh, I forget off the top of my head how many light years they were away from home. But, uh, I think it was like 75,000 light years, something like that. Right, and, and every few episodes they figured out a way to cut some time off their journey. But what I loved about it was they were in the Delta Quadrant, yeah. which was previously unexplored. And they were meeting new characters and new worlds they had nothing about. And it really wrote the book on the Borg, which is, you know, everyone loves the Borg. If you don't like the Borg, you shouldn't be listening to the podcast, right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it really wrote the book on the Borg and you got to learn all about the Borg and no crew was harassed and faced more than, uh, Captain Janeway's crew did with the Borg. And so, um, it was really cool seeing how they, uh, finally were able to get home and the battles and, you know, they, you know, a lot of people forget with Voyager that they were tracking down the Maquis ship and they had to combine the two crews and, and Captain Janeway made the controversial decision to uh, commission many of the officers like Chakotay to become Federation people. She had no idea if that'd be accepted or not, but that was their only way of survival because she had to create some sort of uh, like flow chart on the Voyager and make it work and, and uh, get the people to buy into it if they were ever going to get home. Yeah, that was the, the one thing, the one gripe that I had with Voyager was when the show started, one of the major aspects of the show was that the crew was made up of Starfleet and Maquis renegades or rebels or whatever you want to call them. And it seemed like they merged them together and then kind of forgot about that part. You know, when, when you got into second season... You didn't hear a whole lot about the Maquis and all that kind of stuff. It, it kind of worked itself out a little too quickly, in my opinion. That's a fair point. That's a good point. Uh, I I tend to be more optimistic and say <laughs> that they just bought into Captain Janeway because she was such a good captain and uh, she was such a uh, good diplomat that she made everything work. Yeah. But uh, you're you're right. That's a very fair point and. You know, a lot of people don't realize that Tom Paris on that show was supposed to be a character from The Next Generation, but I believe they had to change his name because uh, if you remember in The Next Generation, 
um, when uh, Wesley is back, uh, he meets the guy who played Tom Paris. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was uh, getting into trouble doing stuff and he got decommissioned. And so when Voyager picks up, Janeway goes and recruits uh, Tom Paris, who is in some sort of internment or prison camp somewhere. So it's not the same character because it has a different name, but it's supposed to be. So, um, and so, uh, but yeah, and Tom Paris was another one of my favorite characters uh, in Voyager as well. So, and I love the romance with him and Bolana Torres. I thought that was always uh, very well done. So, yeah, Bolana Bolana was an interesting character too, half Klingon and half human. Sure. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to share a story, if I may, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, something that I'd never heard before, and it's not out there on the internet, but this blew me away. I learned this at Dragon Con. Uh, I can't remember what year it was because I've been to five straight Dragon Con, so the years all kind of run together. But one year, Jerry Ryan was speaking at Dragon Con. So being that Voyager is my favorite show, I had to go, mm-hmm. had to see her. And so uh, I stood in line to ask her a question, and my question I asked her was, is there anything that you felt you brought to the Borg dynamic as an actress that you felt was an important part of the character and the relationship that the writers didn't have in mind? And she said, yes, there is. And she said, I've told the story a few times, but and I've never seen this publicized, but you know, the famous line with the Borg is, resistance is futile, mm-hmm. you'll be assimilated, right? Well, she said – the very first time we, we see Seven of Nine, why don't why don't I say resistance is futile instead of futile? Yeah. And that will be a subtle hint that while I am part of the collective, I have my own individuality. And of course that later set up the storyline that she was able to deassimilate from the Borg and join the crew. But when I heard her say that at Dragon Con, it just blew me away. So immediately when I get back to my home in Birmingham, I go back I pop in the DVD of Voyager. I find that episode. I'm like, how has no one figured this out before? <laughs> so uh, that's a story that Jerry Ryan told me personally at the panel at Dragon Con that I just think is great that she said re- she is the only board to say resistance is futile instead of resistance is futile. Yeah. I think Data said it that way when he was uh, in, in uh, First Contact, when uh, – he was kind of sort of being assimilated and they were putting regular skin on his arm and all that kind of stuff. That was his, his big like diehard line was he said, resistance is futile. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad you said that because now if I ever hear Jerry Ryan speak again, who speaks at many conventions, uh, cause she's all into it. I'll have to ask her about that again. That'll give me a good follow up question to ask her. So for sure. But she's a. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see Jerry Ryan speak, or any of the listeners do, just a phenomenal speaker. She always talks about how she was so intimidated by the Trekkies or Trekkers or whatever you want to call us geeks. Uh, she was so intimidated by them, but she said now she just embraces them and they're a part of her culture. And it's uh, it's great to see someone just totally embrace that and uh, want to spend time with the fans and. Um, the panel ran really long, but she answered every question. It was just a great sport. So just a great person to hear speak about just a wonderful character in the series. How did you feel about when, uh, they started bringing Barkley onto, onto, uh, Voyager? Did you like that? Or did it kind of get on your nerves that they were bringing characters from other shows onto your, your favorite show? 
Not really, because um, I thought it kind of tied it together, and I thought it was cool that he was the person that discovered the communication back. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, it's kind of one big happy universe. And so uh, at some point, I love that. Much like, uh, gosh, uh, what movie was it where Picard meets Admiral Janeway? So <laughs> that was a good nod to say that Janeway got promoted to Admiral. And uh, I think that you know, was I think that was Nemesis. Yeah, that was the very that was the last TNG movie, I think. Where, sure. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, and then I believe was it in First Contact when the. A holographic doctor makes a cameo appearance. Yeah, as the, yeah. You know, so uh, so you know, I, I love that. It, it ties it all together. I know in DS Nine they had the uh, Tribbles episode, which was just right. really incredible editing. But I love it when they do all that. It just makes uh, it makes the Star Trek universe feel a lot smaller. But uh, you know, in some regards, the shows need to stand on their own merit, and you can have too much of that. But I always felt that with Barkley and uh, Voyager. And with the other stuff, even like with Bones McCoy being in the first TNG and the w- the way they brought back Spock and uh, Scotty and TNG, I kind of felt they did that. Uh, they did it in a good way that made it believable and uh, just kind of gave the fans, uh, you know, that extra scoop of ice cream that they wanted. How did you feel about the way they wrapped the show up, Voyager? Uh, it was a uh, it was a very good episode and. Um, it was a very good episode. I liked the fact that uh, old Janeway had to come back and fight and change the timeline. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember if Voyager was facing ratings decline like other Star Treks were, but I kind of felt Voyager was the perfect uh, length, and so it it, it it worked and it worked well. Uh, I you know I know there's not as many people like me who have just this, just this dying desire to see more voyager so we never got a movie or anything after that uh, other than admiral janeway appearing but yeah i love the way they wrapped it up and it was the perfect series length and it ended the story well so uh yeah i i mean uh i you know i thought everything about it was just perfect uh it's still to this day it's the only series i've watched gosh like i said it, it's been at least four or five times i've watched it from start to finish uh it's just great when you're just bored and when the kids and the wife are maybe out of town or you have nothing to do just to start popping them in and watching old episodes. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of, like I said before, I'm in the middle of a deep space nine rewatch. And my plan is that when I finish deep space nine to pick up Voyager and watch all of it again, because it's been, it's been years. And some of the episodes of Voyager, I only watched the one time when they were on TV originally. So yeah, there's a lot of them that, you know, I, I don't even remember, so I'm going to go back and rewatch all of that, and then I plan to rewatch Enterprise as well. So, sure, and I love the uh, cameo of the Rock in the Voyager, FYI, too, because uh, I believe it was on UPN. Voyager was, yeah, and uh, then it they weren't they uh, airing WWE wrestling at the time, uh, yeah. So the probably. Rock, yeah. So the Rock has a cameo in Voyager, which to me is just really funny, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's really bizarre, but. I guess that's what makes it great. Much like uh, Stephen Hawking had the cameo in TNG, and uh, you know, it's just it's so random, but it works at the end of the day. And uh, uh, I believe uh, Jason Alexander had a cameo in Voyager as well, also. I think, so as the think tank, yeah, Jason Alexander. Uh, I want to say he was on the Next Generation as a Ferengi at one time too. I know that Ethan Phillips 
that played on Voyager as Neelix. Neelix, I yeah. know he was on The Next Generation as a Ferengi a couple of times, I believe. As yes, different and, Ferengi. Uh, yeah. And uh, the guy who played Tuvok, I believe his name is Tim Ross. I might be mistaken Tim, on that. I think it's I, Tim Russ, yeah. Tim Russ, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Tim Russ, he played several characters in TNG and maybe DS9. Uh, uh, and I believe he is the only uh, Star Trek fan to be cast in the Star Trek series who was a longtime fan uh, before uh, – you know, before he was cast on the show, he was someone who begged and begged for a part on the show. Yeah, I believe so. He uh, was a, yeah, he t- was originally he originally auditioned to play uh, Jordy on the Next Generation and didn't get the part. Right, and, then, and I, yes, yeah, that's yeah, you're right about that. Absolutely, yeah. And speaking of Jordy, uh, as a kid, and like I said, you're the same age I am, roughly. Uh, I just remember thinking, why is the Reading Rainbow guy on Star Trek? <laughs> yeah. I used, so, I used to love the – there was an episode of Reading Rainbow where he went to the Star Trek set. And I used to love it whenever they would rerun that episode because it would show all these behind-the-scenes uh, shots of how they made some of the special effects. It was the first time as a kid that I got to see the Enterprise model that they used for the show. And it was a big six-foot model, and it was upside down because the camera was hanging from the ceiling – and they would go around the model with the camera to get all these different angles. And it was, they, they set it up because it was a lot easier to do it that way than to have it turned right side up. And then they showed how they did the, um, the special effect for the transporter and all that kind of stuff. And it was a really, it's a really interesting episode. I mean, you can probably, yes. you can probably dig it up somewhere, but yeah. Yeah. It's on YouTube. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched, uh, my mom was a school teacher growing up. So we were, we watched a lot of reading rainbow growing up. So, <laughs> so that was another thing that really, I was like, wow, reading rainbow is on star Trek. Yeah. So that's really cool. So, <laughs> well, when, uh, you were watching the next generation and, they announced that the show was going to be coming to an end and they were going to make a movie. Were you really sad to see the show ending or were you okay with it because there was going to be a movie soon? I think a little of both. Yeah. Um, uh, because, uh, I'm a firm believer that with TV shows, you don't want it to drag on too long to where they jump the shark. Right. And I think for the most part, they never really did that. So it was a good thing they did that. And they, you know, and at the time, most of the actors and actresses were getting very well known, winning awards, uh, all that good stuff. So they were wanting to progress their careers as well. So it, it worked out well. And, uh, you know, yeah, it worked out well because they were ready to go on. And we still got more Star Trek. But uh, I think the way it came to an end in TNG, it, it really wrapped up the series nicely, much like all the other series. Well, I wasn't old enough to watch the original series, and I know the battles they faced with the network and everything. But uh, you know, for the most part, it it ends well. And uh, of course, Enterprise, which is a whole other story, they kind of uh, they kind of had to. Uh, I'm a big fan of that show as well, and of course, they had to kind of pull the plug on that show because the ratings were just declining and everything. But yeah, when TNG came to an end, it, it, it was time, I think. So. And we got a lot of good movies out of the new crew and cast and everything. And we still had Star Trek on because we had Voyager. And as Voyager was coming to an end, then we got Enterprise. And then, of course, when Enterprise went off the air, we didn't really have anything there for a while. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it all worked out in the end. So 
So how did you feel about the TNG movies? They did. Are there any that you don't like, or are there any that you just absolutely love? Uh, I really loved First Contact because just the whole uh, uh, concept of Zephram Cochran, that's been Star Trek lore for years. I mean, Zephram Cochran went back to the original series. Yeah. And uh, what's great is that First Contact Day was April 5th. And so what's, uh, what's really great is I mentioned my twin daughters. That's their birthday, oh, really? April 5th. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're seven, and uh, they don't quite care about Star Trek yet. But they will one day because yeah. I'll make them watch it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, nevertheless, I think it's so awesome they were born on First Contact. But uh, first, I mean, on, yeah, First Contact Day. But Zephram Cochran was pretty much referenced in every single show and every single series. And, you know, I, you know, and uh, a lot of the movies, uh, he was the guy that kind of started it all that, uh, you know, when he, uh, you know, discovered warp speed and the Vulcans were able to make contact with them and everything and. I thought that first contact plays very nicely with the concept of enterprise uh, with a lot of the Vulcans and the humans kind of having a lot of resentment towards each other. Mm -hmm. It uh, really opened up enterprise uh, in kind of a new way, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, there's uh, kind of this big history between the two and they don't really know if they like each other or not, but uh, really set up the the story with T'Pol and uh, Archer and Trip and enterprise set that storyline up very well. Uh, and ironically, uh, you know, growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, which is kind of which was kind of the center of civil rights in the generation before us. Right. You know, I was able to meet many people who were foot soldiers in the civil rights stories, like speaking at my schools and stuff, people that marched alongside Dr. King. And I was always just amazed at their journey and amazed at their bravery they did and how they had to really work hard to overcome that resentment and all the wrongdoings that had been done upon to them. And uh, so um, hearing those people speak and then seeing a story like Enterprise with the Vulcans and the humans are kind of seeing the same thing kind of struck a chord to me a little bit because, uh, you know, Sean, growing up in Birmingham, it's uh, we're in that generation afterwards, mm-hmm. but it's all about uh, working together to make the world a better place. And I think that's what Enterprise did, much like we've seen in our lifetime in Birmingham. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that, once again, that goes back to how Star Trek seems to mimic real life and political stuff and everything. It just, uh, I think that's another reason it just makes me appreciate it more as an adult because you realize what was going on at the time and it makes you appreciate it even more. Yeah. Well, was there anything that they did not do in the, in those four films that you wish that they had? Whew, that's a really good question. Um, I, um, they, you know, Picard had his battles with the Borg and everything, so that was really cool. Um, I don't think so because I just kind of, uh, at, at this point in my life, I was just happy to be getting another Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. So I was just happy to be uh, getting some, but uh, I was, I was pretty happy. What about yourself? Was there anything you wanted to see? Well, I mean, the, the my main gripe with those four movies, and I, I, I liked all of them. Well, I liked aspects of all of them, but. They were all the Picard and Data show, <laughs> you know. They didn't. Right. They didn't really focus on the the rest of the characters. Were just and the rest, basically, you know. And and I wish that we had had movies. Which I know it's hard to get Patrick Stewart to come and do a movie if he's not going to be the star of the movie, you know. Right. So 
I wish that we had had a movie that focused on some of the other characters. You know, we had several episodes of TNG that were Klingon episodes and they focused on Worf. You know, I wish we maybe could have had a Klingon movie and it, and Worf had the a, the a plot. And then there could be a B plot that was something else going on, you know, but that's the, that's the main thing. Is it, yeah, my bigger it. gripe is we never got more Voyager. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, here, here's something funny for you. Back when I was a kid, I was gosh, probably about eleven or twelve. My brother was ten. He was two years younger than I was. And I remember now my brother had a lot of Star Trek TNG toys. And I remember my, uh, you know, we were big Star Trek fans, big comic book fans, and we were big X Men fans. And my brother. I guess this would have been about 89, 90, somewhere in that time frame. My brother says, you know, if they ever make an X-Men movie, Patrick Stewart would be the perfect uh, <laughs> Professor X. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, my brother called that, uh, I guess that was eight or nine years before X-Men came out. So uh, uh, anyway, and it's funny now that uh, a lot of people, when you go to conventions, only think of Patrick Stewart as the guy who was Professor X. But uh, nevertheless, we know him as Captain Picard and, he really brought a lot to that role. He really made the captain seat a lot more dignified than we saw previously with Captain Kirk. And I loved Captain Kirk, but I thought Picard really brought this uh, dignification to the captain seat and made it, uh, you know, a truly a position of honor. So he really, I think, uh, did more for Star Trek than a lot of other people because of the way he uh, acted in his role as the captain and as the man in charge. Yeah, it's funny that you said that about Patrick Stewart and uh, being Professor X because I think you're right. There's a lot of people that were born in the 90s that probably, or in the late 80s, that probably if they saw Patrick Stewart, they would say Professor X. They wouldn't say Captain Picard. And, you know, just like um, William Shatner, for some people, he's more popular as playing Denny Crane on, on the practice in Boston Legal than for playing uh captain kirk you know for an old you know some of the uh some of the people of the previous generation that didn't really like star trek that much but you know he brought such life to that character of denny crane that he's just remembered as that as well and singing in the priceline commercial yeah, <laughs> yeah there is a there's a film called uh free enterprise that came out in the 90s that is kind of about sci-fi fans and stuff like that and, and William Shatner is in that film playing a version of William Shatner and uh, there's some guys that they run into uh, in a club and they only know him as T.J. Hooker <laughs> they don't know anything about Captain Kirk they go up to him and start fist bumping and say what's up T.J. you know all that kind of stuff so that's great yeah, yeah that's great yeah but Patrick Stewart can double dip. Uh, he was at Dragon Con a few years back, and uh, he double dipped doing X-Men panels and um, uh, Star Trek panels and was really just an incredible speaker. Uh, I, like I said, I get all my Dragon Con years mixed up, but uh, he did uh, some um, one of these uh, charities uh, for, I believe, a girl who had a terminal illness who was a big Star Trek fan. And uh, I remember seeing the story, and it nearly brought a tear to my eye. He uh, just seems like a wonderful man. Yeah, and he does, and I, I think he doesn't take himself too seriously because even though he's this uh, dignified Shakespearean actor, he knows that a lot of his fans know him from Star Trek and the X Men. So he doesn't 
he doesn't downgrade that at all. You know, that's that kind of acting is just as important as the Shakespeare acting that he's done. Sure. Uh, well, uh, let me say this. Uh, one thing I also wanted to bring up, if you don't mind, was going back to the original series. Like I said, I kind of watched those on in syndication as a kid and everything, getting the backstory of these wonderful characters. But uh, one particular episode that is my favorite episode of all time in the original series is The City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. Are you are you familiar with that episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, and what I love about that episode was that um, this was something that, you know, when I can't remember if this was the first foray we got into time travel into the Star Trek series. I want to say it was, but I may be mistaken. But one thing that I loved about that was that the whole concept was as cool as time travel is. If you go back in time, you could really start messing things up and messing up the timeline and that's what they had to fix, and mm-hmm. uh, they had to make sure the timeline was later corrected. And uh, you know, and from that point forward, with all the time travel movies we got, such as Back to the Future and everything, all the plot lines revolved around: if you go back in time, you're going to mess something up, right. and then you have to spend the whole movie or the whole story fixing the timeline. And I want and. I would like to believe that everything was traced back to that episode, the city on the edge of forever when they were uh, having to repair the timeline from saving the woman who got hit by the car. Wasn't that right? Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, but yeah, that's just a, uh, to me that is such a wonderful episode and kind of the penultimate episode of the original series. I, I tell people if you're going to start watching the original series, you can pick it up with that one and kind of go from there. Well, how do you feel about the rebooted films? Because like they 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 go a completely different route when it comes to time travel. Because then when they go back in time and change something, it just creates an alternate universe, and that's what we got. How do you feel about those films? I am perfectly okay with it as long as the next generation crew isn't affected by this time warp. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and everything else that happened as we know it, I, I suppose. And you know uh, the whole concept of. Uh, the uh, Romulans coming back in time, uh, I guess as long as they don't mess up uh, Captain Picard's birth, I, I guess I'm okay with that. And I thought it was really interesting how they did the whole Spock storyline about how the Vulcan as we know it now is is gone. There was no, uh, you know, so uh, going back to the search for Spock when they go back to Vulcan and uh, they introduce themselves when they finally take uh, Spock's body back to Vulcan does that happen now? I, I guess it doesn't because Vulcan doesn't exist. And well, so, it, yeah, uh, it definitely wouldn't happen in that way. Yeah. So, uh, but I get it. They had to. They had to do something because we need more Star Trek. They had to do something. And how are you going to do it and not retell the same old stories again? So it's kind of like pushing the reset button. You have to start over, and you've got to do something. So I'm okay with that, and I love the way that. Leonard Nimoy, rest in peace. I love the way he was able to come back and introduce himself. And the the line in the original, uh, in, in the first reboot that just sent chills down my spine was when he said, uh, when uh, young Spock was asking him, why are you doing this? He said, because you and Captain Kirk will accomplish more than you will ever realize together as a pair. Yeah. And that just sent chills down my spine when he said that, because I was like, wow, you know, like, uh, this, this is awesome. You know, he's telling Spock, you have to team up with this guy. This guy has to be your best friend. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, to let my my inner geek out for a second, what you were saying about it not affecting the uh, Next Generation crew, I'm not sure if it would affect the actual people that were on the Next Generation, but it would definitely affect that time period because the technology is so more advanced in these movies than it was in the original series. And the reason for that is because we had a couple of ships from the 24th century come back into the past. And Oh, wow. And good, good thought. Because, I mean, if you notice, even in Star Trek Beyond, the technology that they're working with is way more advanced than anything that they had in, in the original series. You know, they've got holographic screens in front of them and stuff like that that they didn't have. And somebody pointed out to me actually on this show, I think it was the episode that I did with Kennedy Gordon. He pointed out to me that when, uh, or it may have been Scott Madison. It was one of them. When Nero's ship came back, the Klingons got a hold of that technology. So the Federation had to start it to advance to, uh, to keep up with that. And this was in the comics. The Kling- the Federation had to advance to keep up with that. So now they've got 24th century technology in the original series timeline. So by the time the 24th century actually comes around, then it'll be way more advanced than it was in that, in the original next generation episodes. So that's a very good point. Uh, and it, it kind of somewhat on a lower level reminds me of, uh, in the voyage, uh, the voyage home when, uh, bones, uh, is at the hospital and he's like 20th century medicine <laughs> and he pulls out two pills. And, you know, uh, I was like, uh, and I always would watch that scene. I'm thinking, what were the doctors saying after that? Like, we can't explain it. It's a miracle. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So we've gotten a little bit of that on lesser levels and previous, but that's a good thought. Uh, it kind of blows me away a little bit. I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a, that, that's a fair point. Yeah. It was just but something of course, that has stood out to me when I saw Star Trek beyond because, there were scenes where they're using computers that are like holographically projected in front of them. And I was like, they didn't have that in the original series. And then they got pointed out to me on this show. Well, you know, they had those ships from the future come back. So they had all this technology to help them catch up. So, yeah. Yes. But, uh, I was a fan. I was a fan of the new movie. Saw the new movie fairly recently, uh, star Trek beyond, and uh, loved uh, that because I felt like that movie was more or less a updated version of an original series episode. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, going to the well and fighting the Klingons or fighting the Romulans or doing something that they always do, I kind of felt like this was a standalone story. They're stranded on a planet, and it was a, it was a great standalone story. So I loved the way they did the new Beyond movie. Did you like? So, did you like the way that they had uh, introduced the Enterprise A at the end of it? Kind of that time lapse photography, showing them build it really fast like that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm probably a bad guest because there's not much I dislike, but uh, you know, because whenever I see anything new Star Trek, I'm just completely in awe and just enjoying the fact, and uh, I just try to like it, and uh, I, and you know, I love it for what it is. So it's it's always good to me. So yeah, it introduces the Enterprise A a little early because this is supposed to be the middle of their original five year mission, and in the original timeline, they didn't get the Enterprise A until the end of Star Trek Four, which would have been twenty years in the future. 
from where they sure. are. Sure. But, but uh, you know, I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, works great. Yeah. is uh, Now, is, is Kirk and uh, Carol Marcus in the new storyline, or are they still going to have a, a kid somewhere, I guess? Or is, is David at Jeopardy? You know, I don't know, because they um, – well, Carol Marcus wasn't even in this movie. So I don't know if they're just kind of phasing that out and they're going to do something different. I, I kind of suspect that they're going to do that. They're going to go another route, and that there won't be a David in this timeline. But you know, they—I could be wrong. We'll see. They've got the writers that they're using now, which uh, Simon Pegg is one of the writers. Um, the people that they're using now to write these scripts, as of Star Trek Beyond and going forward, are more Star Trek fans than what they were using before because. It's been pointed out to me before that the uh, that Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness were written by people that uh, kind of knew what Star Trek was, but didn't really weren't really big fans of it. So they put all the big stuff in that you that you recognize from being Star Trek. But then this third movie was written by people who were actual fans of the show. You know, so it's a lot more detail. That's why you got all these references to stuff from Enterprise in this movie. You know, they talked about the Zindi and they talked about Mako and stuff like that in this movie. Yeah, so. good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what absolutely. Are, what are you hoping to get from the uh, the new series that's coming up in January? Which I know we've gotten some we've gotten some stories, some information about what we're gonna get. But not anything that really spells it out. What are you hoping for? Well, um, you know, what I heard was uh, one thing I think we will get is, like I said, Star Trek always pushes political boundaries. And I love it when they do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I'm hoping that it continues to do that. Um, I've heard that there might be a uh, like a LGBT character. I don't know if that will be included or not, but if it is, I mean, great. That's the world we're living in now. Uh, but, uh, you know, more than anything, I want to see camaraderie. I felt like the original series and TNG were the two best series that really had camaraderie among the crew. Because I think that when you see the storylines of them interacting, I think that just always sets up a better story pace. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, where... Uh, I'm, I'm not up to speed, Sean. Where are we? Uh, what's the latest in terms of what the show is going to offer? Uh, I've heard several different things, but uh, maybe I'm, you know, I follow all these things on Twitter, but uh, I've heard several different conflicting reports. Uh, well, the thing, what's the latest? The things that I've heard that are concrete are that the show is going to take place ten years before the original series. Okay. So it's going to okay. kind of bridge the gap between Enterprise and the original series. It is going to be in the Prime Universe, so it's not going to take place in the same timeline as the uh, movies. And it's going to... The the central character of the show is not going to be the captain of the ship. It's going to be a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander. and okay. A female. A female character. And uh, the show is going to kind of center around her. But then, you know, all the other stuff will... You know, the captain will be on the ship, will be a character on the show. He just won't be, or he or she won't be the central character of the of the show. And that's pretty much all we have that's concrete. There was, uh, they did say that there's uh, probably going to be a, a gay character, which I think it'll be interesting if they have a gay character on there and 
they're in a relationship with a same sex person that's not human. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. We kind of got teased a little bit that in Enterprise with uh, especially with Trip and T'Pol. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I believe they were the first uh, couple to uh, be an interspecies couple, and if I'm not mistaken, no, no, but, we had uh, we had Troy and Worf on the next. Well, generation. I mean, in the timeline oh, yeah, chronologically, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I remember Dr. Flox wondering if they could mate together. I remember a conversation like that, but, uh, I guess, you know, the one, as much as I loved enterprise, the one thing I felt was kind of at fault was they were pigeonholed into a timeline. There's only so much they could do. So of course the whole temporal time warp story became the just almost overbearing with them constantly traveling into alternate universes and back in time. And, uh, I hope they don't uh, pigeonhole themselves into a fact where they, you know, can only do so much, so to speak. Because as as much as I loved Enterprise, I kind of felt like there was only so much they could do. And you know, I've, I've repeatedly said that I feel like every Star Trek series is the perfect length. And I'm glad Enterprise ended when it did because I didn't know what else they could really do or where else they could go. So I'm I guess with this, I'm hoping that. Uh, they can um, really uh, explore new worlds and set up storylines that will come into play later on and everything. Well, let me, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll ask you one more question because I know you have to go soon, but um, where are you now in terms of your Star Trek fandom? Oh, I'm a bigger fan than ever. Um, you know, uh, being that I'm now a working adult, uh, I have the ability to go to conventions and everything. So, um, you know, I love going to conventions and seeing these people. Uh, you know, we live in a great era where you can just watch stuff on Netflix and uh, and everything. And I own all the DVDs and Blu-rays. So uh, right now, whenever I'm bored, I like to watch old series. Uh, and like I said, I get more out of it. Uh, probably the biggest thing I've gotten out of it as an adult is, you know, one thing about being an adult, and I, I still think of myself as a kid, Sean, so it's hard to think of myself as an adult. Yeah. But one thing about an adult is life really takes a lot of unexpected turns. And so one thing I get out of Star Trek is that that's what every show is. It's unexpected terms and dealing with the unknown and figuring out life as you go. And uh, that's why I really enjoy watching the Star Trek series over and over again, because it's all about just, hey, life throws you a curveball. So you got to just keep at it. So. I guess where I'm at is, you know, I like to go to conventions. I like to hear people speak. Uh, I go to, on average, probably about three or four conventions a year. It's what uh, it's what my wife and I just love to do. My wife was not into this stuff at all. <laughs> and from me just constantly having on the TV, I've kind of baptized her into the Star Trek universe. And now she knows about it. Uh, um, you know, and ironically, uh, her favorite series is Enterprise. But uh so, you know, I've gotten my wife involved in it, um, which is really exciting because my wife and I can we go to conventions together. We hear Patrick Stewart speak. We hear Jerry Ryan speak. We heard just about the whole cast of TNG speak several years ago at Dragon Con. We heard, uh, we're going to hear William Shatner speak. And uh, so it's uh, it's kind of fun because my wife is the same age I am and introducing her is almost like, uh, like I said, I want to introduce my kids when they're ready for it. But introducing my wife to it and getting my wife excited about it. To me, it's like rediscovering Star Trek all over again. So I guess that's kind of where I'm at. I've, uh, I've got a, I didn't debut it at, uh, um, I shouldn't say debut. I didn't wear it, but I've got a Star Trek cosplay uniform 
that uh, it's the one that w- they wore in. Um, uh, it's the ones they primarily wore in uh, two, three, and four. Uh-huh. And it's a film quality uh, costume I bought off the internet that was tailor made, and I get a lot of compliments on it. So I like to wear. I'm definitely wearing that to the William Shatner speech this year. But uh, I like dressing up. I like going. Uh, I like going to conventions like Magic City Con and discussing Star Trek. I, I know the panel we were at discussing Star Wars versus Star Trek characters. That was just, uh, you just can't recreate that anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so much, you know, I, I, you know, I remember uh, Joe Crow's panel on who would win in a battle between uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and Alexander, and that drew a lot of laughs. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I remember when Kirk, we had a kind of a battle royale thing, and Kirk, uh, the prevailing uh, sentiment was that Kirk always finds a way. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's just great uh, talking about it with fans. And now that I'm an adult, you know, when I was a teenager and in college, I couldn't really travel and do the convention thing because of limited funds. But now that I'm able to do that, it's really a blessing. And life is just wonderful. So it's fun to be able to go to this stuff and talk to people and and uh, and, and share sentiments and know that there are people out there just like me and people out there that just uh, wonder uh, who would win in a fight between these two people. Yeah. and. People, uh, you know, in discussing the Jerry Ryan resistance is uh, uh, futile uh, expression with. It's great just being able to go and talk to those people. And that's why, uh, you know, when to give you a plug to your show, when you uh, put the call out for the show, I said I really wanted to do it because I'm just such a fan. And, you know, uh, just wanted to let people know that, hey, there's still plenty of us out there and we're going to get more Star Trek. And it's a great thing. All right. Well, Jeff, thank, thanks for being on the Prime Direction. I appreciate you being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, uh, like um, if you're going to Dragon Con and want to meet me, you can go on the Dragon Con app, uh, find me. Uh, I've made my profile public. So uh, looking forward to seeing anyone that wants to talk at the Shatner, uh, Shatner speech and uh, hopefully go from there. The Prime Direction is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course on our website at CosmicPotato.com. Please be sure to leave us a review wherever you find the show. That will go a long way toward helping other people find the podcast. Every fan has a story. If you would like to come on the show and tell me the story of your Star Trek fandom, send me an email at mail at CosmicPotato.com. Remember, there are a lot of people that want to be on the show, so please be patient and I'll write back to you as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to look for more episodes as I continue to bring you more stories of Star Trek fans and their prime direction.